This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Today on episode number 649 of the School of Podcasting, Troy Heinrichs was one of the 3,500 people that Dax Shepard got to go on a blind date. And we get some insights on creating your own event from David Hooper. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcaster, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a great holiday season as I record this. If you are new to the show, I'm here to help you massage your message. I'm here to help you tackle the technology, face your fears. If you've ever thought about doing a live event, we're going to be talking about that today. So face your fears, flatten the learning curve, and get you on the road to podcasting in the right direction. My website, schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER when you sign up for either a monthly, a yearly subscription, or you can just buy the classes a la carte. I've also got mentoring packages available. That's all out at schoolofpodcasting.com. Today, we're going to hear from two people, Troy Heinrichs from the Blacklist Exposed, went to a live event. He's going to give us some feedback on what it's like to be an attendee. And then I found an old interview. We were talking about events a while back, and I had a conversation with David Hooper. You might know him from the Red Podcast as well as the Big Podcast as well as Podfecta in Nashville. He's got a new book coming out next year, 93,000 words, he said, on podcasting. I'm looking forward to reading that. But David's got a background, and he used to run multiple live events, so he's going to give us some insights on if you want to run your own live event. You might be thinking, uh, Dave, I don't know if I have the audience for that. Do you realize you could go out to zoom.us, and I'm not getting paid for that, and and do, I think it's $15 a month, and then use something like Eventbrite, which only takes money if you sell a ticket, and actually run your own online event. So it's one of those things that podcasters are now using to make money, That you, not that you have to make money with your podcast, but it is another way. And so today we're going to learn what it's like to attend a live event. And in this case, it's somebody that did their podcast live, not so much an event like Podcast Movement or PodFest, but uh, it's going to be interesting. And you'll get to that right after I talk about one of my favorite pieces of equipment. And that, of course, is the Focusrite 2i2. Now, here's what's cool about this. There's almost no knobs on it. And if you're like, look, I'm not a technical person. I just need to record in Audacity. It's on my laptop. It's on my computer. How do I get this microphone into the computer? You plug your microphone into the Focusrite. You turn the knob to the right until it turns red, and then you turn it back to where it just goes green. That's how you set the level. That's how you know you're exactly the way you want to be. If you've got a co-host in the room with you, simple, plug their microphone in, do the exact same thing, you are good to go. And you're like, but Dave, I have more than one co-host. Well, Focusrite has multiple different interfaces that can really meet anybody's needs. And the thing I love about this 
they're not made cheap. This is like metal. It's not plastic. It's not going to break. You can tell when you turn the knobs, they're of quality and the preamps are great. It can help drive any kind of microphone, whether it's a, you know, Shure SM58, an Audio-Technica ATR2100 or something like the Shure SM7B or a Heil PR40. It will drive everything. If you go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 649, I'll have links out there where you can find more and actually click on this uh, link and it will take you to where you can choose which device works best for you. It's a really cool interface that they do for that. So thank you, Focusrite, so much for sponsoring the schoolofpodcasting.com. Troy Heinrichs has been on this show many times. He does The Blacklist Exposed. If you go over to theblacklistexposed.com, they'll take you to his show. He's interviewed everybody on that show, the executive producer. He's been flown to California to lead up fan-based television specials. And uh, we'll probably hear more about that in a future episode. But he had a great point. He went in Chicago to see Dax Shepard, who does the armchair quarterback podcast. And uh, can you imagine going, hey, uh, I want you to pay, I don't know, 50 bucks for a ticket to go watch somebody do a podcast. Okay, well, who is it? Oh, it's Dak Shepard. Great. Uh, who's he interviewing? I don't know. What? Yeah, I don't know. But the tickets are 50 bucks. Want to go? Well, 3,500 people did. And here's some insights from Troy's time at the Dax Shepard live podcast taping. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. And, and this one's a little weird because this is more of a, because of my podcast, I couldn't enjoy the time at the theater because yeah. I kept thinking about a bunch of stuff <laughs> while I was enjoying the show. He went to the theater. Yes, he's here today. We're we're talking a little live. Uh, this is like the, the new way people are making money with a podcast that it's always like, you know, sell your stuff, sell other people's stuff, donations, sponsors. And now it's like, oh, and by the way, live gigs, because there are people like, is it, I think it's Pod Save the Queen. They sold out uh, radio music. The big theater in New York. Yes. Two nights in a row. And you went and saw Dak, or is it Dak or Dax? Dax. Dax, Dax. Shepard, the armchair expert. Yes. So you basically watched him do his podcast. Like, did he just walk out? And there's two chairs and two microphones or what? Uh, in this case, uh, he had the, the, the armchair, you know, which is his chair. Uh, they actually had a Christmas tree because it is the holidays with a nice uh, red and green lighted backdrop. Uh, and then they had a couch like you'd have like a couch for like a letterman or right. uh, here I am dating myself, uh, Kimmel and, <laughs> <Fallon>. <laughs> yeah. and then you have um, a, a guitar set, little band because they have a band that plays uh, to do their opening. Nice. And yeah, pretty simple set. So it was, it was I, I would have to say it was better than I expected because you're just, oh, what is he going to do? Is he just going to sit down and talk for like, is he going to be more into the guest and worried about the recording? Or is he going to be worried about the audience specifically? Because he does put the live shows out on his podcast feed. Uh, I don't know how much of the live show will show up, but it was it was a good time. I have to say it was very enjoyable. Now, is this something like a concert where like, can you buy a T-shirt as you're walking in or? I didn't see the merch per se. Because when we got in, it was it was like just as everybody was coming into the lobby was like mobbed mm-hmm. uh, at that point. But I know there was a merch table somewhere in the lobby. Okay. We just couldn't get to it. It was hard enough getting a drink, let alone getting to the merch table. But he definitely had his merch. 
And then you had, um, you know, described your drink, went into the theater, and you just kind of sat there for probably a good 45 minutes after they opened up the doors. And, and the funny thing is it started at 8 o'clock. And this would be like the one thing when we talk about, you know, always be on time and, you know, have your, if you come out weekly, always come out weekly. So we're like, eh, it's 8, 8 10. Uh, it's uh, 8.15, let, let's get on with the show, you know? Yeah. And then this guy comes out, which he looks like a, a very old Dave Matthews would be the best way I could describe <laughs> okay. him. Right. But he was the most amazing keyboard artist I've ever seen. I mean, just just tickling the ivories, doing what he did. And he came up with all these like weird, crazy songs, which dropped a couple F-bombs and worked it all in. And it was really entertaining. And I'm like, okay, well, is this going to be like a, is this a musical act? Or is this... Right. part of the show like I'm, I'm not sure what's going on here so uh, i think that's the tip there would be some kind of table of contents or a pamphlet they never even handed out like a program like a playbill yeah uh before the before the start of the show but super entertaining so at least in this perspective i'm like always have something that's exciting to warm up the crowd it's yeah. not like you're just going to sit down and jump into the conversation or like I didn't Daxton and just walk out and sit down on the couch and like, Oh, huh, waiting for the guest. And then the guest comes out and yeah, no, he, there was actually a warm up for the crowd, which I thought was good. What, uh, what theater was this and how much would you guesstimate how many seats are in this place? Yeah. Chicago theater. And then it's about 3,500 people to sell out the theater and it was sold out. Nice. Like the, even on the marquee, Dax Shepard, armchair expert sold out. And I'm like, Wow, 3,500 people. That's a lot of people. And the tickets were? I think face value where we were in the orchestra, probably eight rows off the stage, center aisle, went for 58 bucks. Holy cow. Times that by 3,500. That'll add up. Yeah, I'm sure the balcony was probably half that, $25, $30 upstairs. But not a a small chunk of change. When when Dax finally hits the stage, do they, is it just, ladies and gentlemen, Dax Shepard or what? how did he finally come on the stage? No, so the so the guy's playing the the music, and you realize, oh, it's the band that does their jingle. So it's mm. like he's the armchair expert, you mm. know, and it's all the opening for their for their podcast. But what he did was really unique. He actually, when they go to the cities, they find songs that were written in Chicago, so artists that were from Chicago or songs written about Chicago or whatever, and they're working in the the rhythm, right? So there's the the standard, you know, four four beat or whatever mm. it is for the for the the podcast opening and it said they they found whatever songs would fit that beat. So hmm. they're doing all the songs. And then in between the songs are like, he's an armchair expert. And then they went into <laughs> another song. I was like, and he's an armchair expert. And they went into another song. And then finally they're like, and then all of a sudden the brass players come out because the brass is a, a big part of the opening. Mm-hmm. And so when the brass players come out, you're like, Oh yeah, this is when we're going to get started. And then the brass kicked it in. And then Dax comes out and he actually swaps with the drummer uh, who was actually a local musician, the drummer and the bass player hmm. were local Chicagoans that just kind of stepped in for the night, which is cool. And then, yeah, Dax just, they finish out the the whole opening thing and he's just playing the drums and he's all into it. And, and he's right on beat and he gets up and he's like, yo, what's up Chicago? And, you know, kind of goes and from there. You go. warm, yeah. Warmed up the crowd for maybe five minutes and uh, it, yeah, just super, super lots of energy to start at the show. Cause you're like, What's going to happen? We're going to be here for two hours with a guy <laughs> talking. It's literally like talking heads on YouTube. We paid $50 for this. <laughs> okay. So he comes out and I, I love that idea. It's like you said, bring some energy. Now here's the fun thing. How do you go from all that high energy to now sitting down and, and talking on a couch? Well, the best part is that you don't know who it's coming out. 
So mm. up until the point of the show, these people have bought 3,500 people have bought tickets to see Dak Shepard and they went on a blind date. Wow. Like, like how do you pull that off? Like it could be like, and I'm interviewing Papa Smurf today. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like people are willing to pay for Dax because they love Dax. And I'm because of Dax, I'm paying for that ticket. I don't care who's on the couch next to him. It could be, you know, Bill Clinton. It could be Barack Obama's here in Chicago, right? It could right. have been anybody. Uh, Bill Murray could have been on the couch or um, Jeremy Piven or John Cusack or any of these Chicago people. And uh, he brings out uh, Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl and uh, Sharp Objects, which was just on HBO uh, recently as a program. And so, yeah, here's Gillian Flynn, awesome writer, used to write for Entertainment Weekly. This is like right up my alley because she's like a kindred spirit. And uh, they just sit down and have a good time. And yeah, it was, it was it was just shocking that people would pay for a ticket to go on a blind interview date. That is true. Now, was it just that just the one guest and that was it or that was it? Yeah. So by the time she comes out, it's like 830, maybe 840 by the time she sits down on the couch and they went till almost 11 o'clock. I felt well, like. OK, wow. OK, so that's the interesting thing, because I mean, I know his show isn't short. And he always tacks on the thing at the end where he does, he does like, well, hence the name armchair quarterback. When he gets done, he then critiques how he did the interview. So, oh, yeah. The, uh, the the fact check. Yes. So there was no fact check. But Monica was there. And then Dax actually flew out Monica's parents as well to see her uh, do the show live, which was really fun and interesting. So uh, just to see the dynamic between Monica and Dax in a live setting mm-hmm. versus what you normally see on the podcast. I thought that was really interesting to see how. She's going to work herself into this live crowd action. And uh, yeah, she really, she nailed it. It was a lot of fun seeing the two of them kind of work together. And then poor Gillian's in the middle going like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the one thing that I thought was really great about it is that, you know, Dax was super prepared. I think that is the one thing when we talk about all these interview podcasts and all the copycat interview podcasts, he had notes upon notes upon notes. And he either either Monica did all the research and just gave it to him and he read it through and prepared, or he did the research himself, but he was able to take like a nugget from eight 50 in the evening. And then when it came back up again at 10 30 in the evening, he was able to weave that eight 50 nugget back into the 10 30 nugget. Hmm. And I'm like, man, you got to be like, so on your game to be that prepared, that witty, that funny all at the same time and try to remember all that information in your brain while you're trying to interview this guest and entertain the crowd at the same time. And remember that you're doing this as an audio podcast for later. I mean, super mad skills that Dax has. That's why his podcast has been like like one of the number ones for 2018. Yeah. And is he taking notes as he's interviewing her? Or is he just listening? Or could you tell? I think he's just listening. I never saw a pen in his hand. I mean, he had full eight and a half by 11, like three pages of notes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never saw a pen come out. So if he's remembering all that, man, he's smart guy. Smart guy. Did he do anything to like like were you just watching the whole time or did he get the audience involved at all during the interview i think the the big thing there but was really an interesting takeaway so uh gillian is obviously a very skilled writer but i think when you're a writer you have to have that process of how do i go from nugget a to nugget b to nugget c to craft the story so thinking on your feet is a little bit more of a challenge Mm. so when she was in the kind of talking and it's getting like oh Mm -hmm. kind of thing like in the audience 
like Dax was actually really good. He was able to like spin it back, take a hold of the situation, re-engage the audience because like Jillian's or Gillian's telling uh, a story and Dax is like, Oh, I had that happen to me too. Like blah, 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 blah. blah. And then everybody's like, Oh, Dax is talking again. And then you're all refocused. So I think that's probably something we should learn for our interviews too. It's like if the interviews interviewee is going on and on and on, learn how to cut them off, kind of tell a funny story to re-engage the audience and then get back on track. I think sometimes we let the, we think, Oh yeah, we shouldn't interrupt and ask questions. And we want to make sure that the interviewee gets all the time. But I think at some point there's a good chance that you should interrupt them because maybe they are just spinning for no reason. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there thinking, Mm, I'm going to edit this out later. Well, you know, why, why just not edit it out now? Right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's probably the other thing that we learned, too, through the course of the show. One of these situations where Dax kind of took it back over. Uh, he told this uh, funny story about Danny DeVito. Uh, he was on the movie When in Rome, and DeVito was there, and they all went back to the hotels and had room service. And Dax is like, I did that, too. He's like, yeah, well, we watched Death This Moochie. And Dax is like, I did that, too. And DeVito's like, what did you think about the movie? And DeVito's like, or uh, Dax is like, you know what? It kind of stunk. And then everybody walked away because you realize that DeVito directed Death This Moochie. <laughs> like totally dug himself into a Oops. hole. <laughs> but, um, but the people at the audience heard that story right. and he said, hey, I'm probably going to cut this out of the podcast. Ah. So will 3,500 people go back and listen to the live show that they already attended? Probably not. But I'd be interested to find out if he does cut it out, because if he does cut it out, that's something special that only the Chicago audience was yeah. able to hear. And because of that, now I have FOMO. If he's coming to Cleveland or Detroit, I'm like, man, I should go get a ticket for that show, too, because what's he going to say that I'm going to miss out on? That's it. That's that's actually really cool. Because, yeah, because now that goes from, you know, oh, I could have stayed home and listened to this. But now it's like, ooh, bonus content. So a couple quick tips there. Number one, start on time. That would be good. Just like your podcast, maybe give him some sort of playbill so people know what the heck is going on. And maybe he did that because he didn't want to show who the guest was. But uh, nonetheless, plus, if you give somebody something simple to take with them, it's something, it's a momentum, if nothing else. I would have had some swag, but maybe that's, you know, swag can be a pain in the butt because then you're like, oh, we're out of mediums again. But I love the fact that I would do something that specifically is not going to be in the podcast. That way, the people that did make the trip, your super fans, get something that nobody else can get. So we're going to switch gears and go over to my conversation. This is an old one with David Hooper. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why I never released this. I think there was a time where we were talking about live events a lot, and I didn't want to overwhelm you with all this talk of live events, live events, and live events. But Dave has some great insights. You can find him at redpodcast.com as well as bigpodcast.com. Before Red Podcast, you spent many moons organizing music conferences. You've been to a kind of ton of conferences and different events. So as I've been uh, talking with people about, hey, I have a podcast. I want to make some sort of event for my audience. I kind of said, if anybody has any insights on this, you know, let me know. And uh, your your name definitely came up in my head. So uh, you're going to come in and uh, share some of that information and help people kind of avoid some of the the common pitfalls, I guess, especially if you're doing one for the first time. So uh, if somebody's doing a, a little event, you know, they have a have their podcast, they have their little niche that they have their audience and everybody's all about knitting or Star Trek or 
you know, uh, Shih Tzus, whatever their, their podcast is about, they want to have a little meetup for their, their audience. What are some things that, that they should be aware of? I think the first thing that you need to think about with an event like that is the image that you want to portray. What do people see your podcast as? For example, if you had a religious podcast, well, it would be fun for you to meet at a church. If your podcast is secular in nature, maybe you're Christian, maybe you go to that church. Don't do it at the church because you get lumped in with other religious podcasts. And and people are making judgments based on where the venue is. For example, how many times have we been to the back room of a Chili's and been sold multi-level marketing, (laughs) Arbonne, Amway, that kind of thing? If you're at the back room of a Chili's, people may have that kind of association with you. So you need to think about the venue and say, does this match my brand? Is this the experience that I want people walking out with? How do you go about finding a venue? I mean, is it something, do most restaurants have a back room or where do you even start looking? Yeah, a lot of restaurants do have like a back room or a a party room. As I mentioned, churches, a lot of space. If it's not Wednesday night or Sunday morning, that space can be available to other outside groups, public libraries. A lot of it's going to be done through your network. And if you're local and if it's a local area that uh, you live in and you work in, you're probably going to know the kinds of events that are happening all around you. And maybe you're going to look at where other people have had their events and, and try to go and use those same venues. You can get the inside scoop on that. If you're not local, you can ask so, for example, if I'm going to New York City for business and I want to have a meetup, I'll ask my network, say, hey, man, who in New York knows of a good venue that I can get? This is the kind of vibe that I'm looking for. I needed to hold this many people. So you're going to start out with like a set of parameters in addition to that image and just start asking around. That's the best way. I suppose if you didn't have a network, you're just showing up. You could get like a local newspaper and start cold calling. But that that's a much more difficult way to do it. Yeah, and I'm sure it depends on the location and the size, but is there any kind of range of like how much it's going to cost to to rent a room or is that just something it's, you know, pick out a dartboard and throw one? It could be any of the above. Yeah, it it it's that because if you've got like a slow night, let's say let's say it's a Tuesday night. Tuesday night in this city is just kind of dead, but you can bring in 50 people. You can bring in 20 people. And those are 20 or 50 people that wouldn't have normally been in the venue. Sometimes they'll allow you to have the venue for free or a corner of the venue or the party room or something, just because those people will be buying food, buying drinks. You can get the venue for free. A lot of times people do want you to pay and that's fine. I mean, I would rather pay and have a quality venue than try to skimp on, you know, 50 or 100 bucks or however much your venue is going to be, then, you know, maybe have people drive an hour outside of town just to to meet you. I've, I've seen people, I knew one guy, he did it at like a, an extermination office. So these guys were like in bug control during the day and, and uh, exterminating. Uh, well, I guess they weren't exterminating anything at night and that's how he got the venue. I've seen people do all sorts of things just to try to save money and, and, uh, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. I mean, work, work out work out any kind of deal. I mean, just say you're gonna you're gonna bring people in. Uh, you'll be publicizing it. Uh, if if you've got any kind of advertising that you're doing, any kind of social media that can help. Uh, I've I found venues. I mean, the purpose of a venue is to have people in it. So people, especially if if there's an income stream for the venue, if it's food or if it's drink, they want you there and they want people there. So they're usually more than thrilled to to have you there. 
Now, is this something that you've seen, I guess in your case, especially with the music conferences, but some people want to leave it open-ended, like, hey, let's just get together and network and, and get to know each other. Is it better to to have kind of an agenda, hey, this week we're going to talk about blank, or do you have any experience 100%. With yeah, 100%. Got- because just because you're involved doesn't mean that it's interesting or valuable to people. Now, there does become a point where you've got enough people there. Let's take a big podcasting conference, for example, something like podcast movement. Everybody's going to be there. So it doesn't really matter to me who's speaking at that point or what the content's going to be like, because I'm going to see people like Dave Jackson in the hallway and we can hang out. Got it. You're probably not at that point with your local event. So it is good to have some kind of purpose Maybe you're going to have a short speaker that's going to teach something, but it's got to be usually more than just networking or, hey, we're just going to hang out. People are very busy and you're competing against video games and you're competing against Netflix and you're competing against traffic. It takes a lot of work to get people to an event. And that's one of the reasons that I think that you need to have an event at some place that people are familiar with, some place that's easy to get to, some place that's going to have parking if it's a local event, if you're having people fly in for an event, someplace that has a direct flight that's easy to get to, someplace that's close to the airport. We see a lot of people, for example, in Nashville, there's a suburb. It's called Franklin. It's in a different county, and it could be 45 minutes away. And it's a nice, quaint little town. It's probably cheaper than Nashville to rent a venue. People say, oh, I'll just do it in Franklin. Well, you got to think ahead. Because that's the stuff that you're competing with. Not only is somebody having to get on a plane at this point, but they're going to have to rent a car and drive 45 minutes to get to your venue. So, yeah, all those things come in mind when it comes to uh, people's decision whether or not to come. Is it money or is it ease? You've got to have great content in order to back that up. And the easier you make it, the less pressure it is on you to have that content. Are, are hotels a good location because now people can stay there and usually they have some sort of boardroom or something that you can rent. Yeah, I think hotels are great and you could have like a one day kind of a networking thing to take it back to churches. Some of the churches that don't actually have buildings, they'll actually meet in hotels and meet in conference spaces or meet in, in auditorium type spaces. I think the downside of the hotel is oftentimes you have to use their food and their catering Mm. and the way the hotel usually works is that you are guaranteeing that uh, it's just like a venue, you're guaranteeing a certain amount of people will come in and they want to sell room nights and they also want to sell food and drinks. So uh, you, let's say the venue would be $30,000. It's like, well, we'll sell $30,000 worth of rooms and then we'll take that off your off, off your bill or anything that's char- like room service, we'll take that off your bill. So hotels are expensive, but they're great spaces. They're They're meant for things like this. And if you're doing like an overnight type of event, I would absolutely have it in a hotel. I think it's tough to take it back to my example about the suburb of Nashville called Franklin. A lot of places, um, a lot of people rather, they will meet in like a venue, but you'll be split up over maybe three or four hotels. And I think hotels can add to that camaraderie. It's also nice to not have to to travel between the venue and where you're sleeping if you are doing a multi-day event. When do I need to bring in a PA system? Uh, Probably sooner than you think, because there could be a band, there could be music. If you get a lot of people in the room, you've got a lot of people talking, so it's going to be louder than you think. There's TVs that are blaring, there's orders, there's 
glasses being dropped. There's a cash register going. Maybe there's a sporting game on the TV where every time a touchdown is made or a play is not made, people are yelling or cheering. So, yeah, you need to think about noise and uh, you do want to be heard and, and people want to be able to connect. If you have an, a venue, like I'll actually, like I, being in the, the music business, I know uh, a lot of guys that have clubs and this is something that's interesting to keep in mind. Uh, I had a guy with a mid-sized club. It's in Nashville. It's called Exit Inn. And Exit Inn's a very famous club. There's a police album and Sting is wearing an Exit Inn t-shirt on the back. That's how well-known this club is. 300 people was the best amount of people for him to have because that's when people would have a good time. That's when it was easy for people to get to the bar. Sometimes you think like having more people is going to be better. It is not. It could get so packed in there. It was too noisy. People didn't have a good time. People couldn't get to the bar. People couldn't get service. And you can have the same issue with your event and the experience that people have. Sometimes there are too many people there. Is that a situation where instead of having, because some people think like every year it has to get bigger. Is it just a matter of, hey, we found our sweet spot at 300 people. And now because there's more demand for it. Now, if I want to, if this is something where I'm charging a price to get into, I can just now raise my price. Yeah, I think that's probably a better a, a better thing to do. I, I can give you an example of the event that I had, uh, the music conference I mentioned, where we had up to 2,500 people per year. And the first year was maybe 1,500 people. So we grew it. And uh, then it got to the point where some people, they felt maybe overwhelmed. It's like going to a big university. Some people have an experience that's better at a small university because they can get to know people. The class sizes are smaller. You can actually contact your professor, professor, and an event is the same way. People uh, can sometimes feel overwhelmed and they can't walk away with that personal connection. Most people who have a podcast, you're going to have the opposite pro- problem, though. You do actually have to work pretty hard to get people to an event. Do you know in your travels, like if you invite X amount of people, like what's a good percentage of people that are going to come and what's a realistic uh expectation of, of percentages of people that are going to actually show up. Uh, man, that's a, you know what? <laughs> it's a lot less than you think. Okay. And, and, and let me, let me tell you how to help that out. If you are trying to get people there, the best thing that you can do is some kind of pre-sell where it gets people to commit. So even if it's a free event, having them go to Eventbrite, Mm-hmm. where they're committed and they're going to get a ticket. It's better if you can charge somebody something, five, 10 bucks, just to say, yes, I want to come to this event. Because the problem that we all face is some of the things that I mentioned earlier is that you're going to compete against Netflix and you're going to compete against your wife or your husband or your kids and everything else that's going on in your life. And it's easy, even though you would like to go to an event, to say, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of too tired today right. to go do it. So the more you can get people committed, and one of those ways is by selling tickets in advance, the better you're going to have as far as actually getting people there. But I don't know about the the actual uh, actual numbers. I mean, yeah. anybody who's ever done a webinar or a conference call, you know how many people sign up and how many people actually show up at the event itself. And a live event, even worse, if I could get 3%, I would – have events all day long, (laughs) (laughs) but you got to work, you've got to work and you've got to make it an event that people want to get there. And again, just because you're involved doesn't mean 
that people are going to find it interesting. It usually is a combination of the content, but also the people that they're going to meet. And they do that because they want a certain outcome. So if you can provide people with a certain outcome, not just fun, not just networking, but think about, for example, what those connections that you make are going to enable you to do. It can't be general. I think the more niche you go, you're going to have better luck getting people in. What are some of the the biggest mistakes you think as you've gone to events that uh, you go, ooh, rookie mistake? So many. Um, <laughs> the things like not thinking about venue, not thinking about is it close to a major airport? If people are driving, not thinking about parking, not thinking about the cost of venues that people are going to have to stay overnight, not thinking about little b- details like bathrooms are the places for people to take a break or having water or having food, not thinking about meals. Like I've seen a lot of events. They don't think about meals. They think, oh man, I'm so excited to be presenting this information. I'm going to do this day long seminar and not even giving people enough time to, to have a break, you know, having too much information. That's actually, you you know, you would think, I mean, it's kind of intimidating when you set up a day long event and say, man, how am I going to talk for eight hours? But when you're planning that thing out, my experience has been that the content expands the actual day of and people need a little bit more time to digest it than you would think that they would need. And a lot of times schedules are too tight and almost becomes like that vacation you have with that really type A dad. He's like, all right, everybody in the car, we got to go to the next thing (laughs) where you can't stop at the overlook and enjoy it and look, or you can't stop and go to the bathroom because by God, you've got to get to the next destination. Uh, I mean, I I think that's, that's one of the things like packing, uh, you know, giving people too many choices. A confused mind always says, no, that's what we said. You just get overwhelmed and, and having too many options can, can be a bad thing. Yeah. I've been at times the, you know, one of the last speakers which on one hand, they're like, yeah, we're saving you to the end. And you get up there and people are just like, oh, good God, another one. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can make it through it. Hold on. You know, yeah. what, what is kind of a good ratio of like how how much time do I need to leave for breaks? And, you know, is it one hour on, 15 minutes off? Is it, you know, how often do I need a break and how long do they need to be? What do, What have you seen that works? Yeah, I think that's good. I think if you can do like maybe if you're doing like a seminar type event, you know, 45 minutes, that's uh, pretty good for people to hold uh, their attention to give them 15 minutes just to stretch, say hello to other people, discuss the event, leave, go to the bathroom, get some food. You know, when you go to an event, you don't care how many people are there. You want to meet that one person that's going to help you. It's like dating. It's like you could date a hundred women. You, you don't need a hundred women. You just need one who's going to love you. <laughs> that's all it takes. That's same it. thing with your event. And same thing with the content. One piece of advice can really help people. And if you overwhelm them, they're not actually going to take action on it. They're not going to be helped. They're not going to tell their friends. You want people to walk away from your event having that life-changing relationship, that life-changing experience. And again, it, it goes back to less is more, just like the crowd. Well, one of the things you did, one of, another show that you do is uh, Music Business Radio. You've been doing that uh, a while. And uh, I was actually lucky enough to be on that show many, many, many moons ago. That's actually one yeah. of the, the times yeah, I met you. Yeah, since 2005 we've been doing that. Yeah, so you had a special event for episode 100. Can you give us kind of a, the behind the scenes of, of how that you know happened, the planning that went into it? We did want to do something that was going to be local in Nashville, though, because we're very proud of Nashville Music City USA. It's our home base. 
it really is where the music industry is happening right now. We wanted an excuse for people to come to the city, to see the city and experience it like we do, realizing that a lot of people don't have just the day-to-day of the music business like we do. So that would be an experience for them. But also to think listeners and get people connected with each other because it is important for people like touring bands, for example, to know people in other cities and get to know people. So we thought the first thing, where are we going to do it? We need space for, let's say, a few hundred people. I think our goal was maybe a couple hundred people. We didn't want it to be like a small get-together. We wanted it to have some gravitas. And we were able to get a free venue because they wanted to be associated with us. Like I said, we're a broadcast show. It's something that people in the city know. It's something that had had some reputation by that time, 100 episodes. And we knew a lot of people. We wanted something on Music Row. So we went up to BMI, which is Broadcast Music. And basically, they're the people who collect royalties. Every musician knows them because most musicians are are getting a check from either them or the competitor, ASCAP. And we said, look, um, we'd like to do an event here. And basically, we said, you know, wink, wink. uh, If it's not you, it's going to be your competitor, ASCAP. So they were into it. They gave us the free space. And then we just basically had to figure out what we were going to do inside that space. So that's how we got to space. We wanted something that represented Nashville, that represented the industry that we were in and had the big enough space to handle all the people that we were going to have. Uh, We needed refreshments for people. So we said, well, how are we going to get those? And we had uh, beer distributors here in town that works with the radio station. And we said, all right, how about some beer for all our thirsty people? And they said, yes, but I think there was some kind of issue. I don't know if the issue was uh, when you deal with alcohol, this is something to keep in mind is that sometimes you have to have like a licensed bartender, somebody who's got what they call the ABC card, alcoholic beverage commission, so that you know that you're going to be over serving people or not over serving them, in other words. And, uh, you know, alcohol can, can cause some issues. So that's something to think about, by the way. Sometimes it's better to do it at a venue where they're going to be just doing a cash bar. I think when you give away alcohol, especially with musicians, we're just being honest, you have a tendency to have people that maybe overindulge, and that can be a whole nother problem in itself. Because of that, there was some kind of issue with the alcohol, and, and we ended up uh, not going through the sponsorship uh, because we wanted to be able to maybe serve it in a different way. I'm not sure what happened with that, but uh, that's easy to do. You know, go to Costco or something, buy you a bunch of Michelob Ultras or whatever kind of beer that you drink, and that's not going to cost you much money. The food, I think, was a local provider that we were able to just put on the flyers. And so like, hey, we'll um, give away your food, and we're going to do this, what they call in-kind. And you find a lot of people that are up for that. We, the servers provide, provided by BMI, the building that we were using because they wanted people to have a certain experience when they walked in their building and that took care of the the food and getting the food and the drinks in the hands of people. Then we needed to start bringing people in and we wanted to make it somewhat of an event. We started calling sponsors who might give away musician related stuff in order to come in, give people an excuse. Like say, uh, what we call Gibson. This is what ended up happening. Hey, could we have a couple less Pauls from your custom shop? Maybe one that says Music Business Radio. This is a big event, and we can give one away. And it's not going to cost you much to make it, but it's got a high perceived value, and we're going to give this away during the event. So we got them to give that to us for free in exchange for like maybe some photos with famous people with a guitar, 
also, for, you know, for giving it away and for putting them in the advertisement because we were able to put this on the radio. And this is a little bit different, I realize, because it's a radio show, not a uh, not a podcast. So we had a bigger outreach. And then basically we got the word out to anybody that we could. And as I said, when certain people start to come to an event, just like podcast movement, and you know that a lot of people are going to be at that event and you know there's going to be a producer there, for example. You know there's going to be Dave Jackson from School of Podcasting. You want to meet him, you're going to go there too so you can do that. And uh, that's pretty much it. But I will say this, that we had to let people know again and again and again. We had to let them know that they needed to order tickets in advance so we would know how much food and drink to purchase. We needed to know if we were going to have maybe too many people, if we needed to cap it off so we wouldn't have like an overrun of people there and uh, not having, you know, at that point, as I mentioned, you don't have a good experience. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that's pretty much how it worked. We, we thought about the venue that we needed. We had some food and drinks so people were comfortable. We had some content, which were, were the, the people. We thanked everybody for coming out, but uh more or less in, in that genre with that audience, people who wanted to meet with other people in the music industry, your genre may not be like that. But I think that sometimes, you know, we get too caught up in maybe having like a celebrity there. And sometimes it is going to be your people right. and our people in this case were both because we had famous guests there that we had had, but it wasn't like a celebrity thing. It was kind of like, Hey, we're one of you. We want to meet you kind of thing. Nice. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear it, it grow and all the hassles and the, the, the good stuff that worked. And um, well, you, want me, you want me to tell you the, the worst thing that happened? Sure. All right. Big event, multi-day event. This is when I was doing the music conference at a hotel and right. we had a huge storm come through the Southeast. People were driving up, seemed to devastate the Southeast, trees down, roads, roads closed, roads flooded out. A lot of people did not make the event. So we've got all these rooms to sell to cover the space. And I'm thinking like, well, that's going to be bad. It's also bad that we don't have a lot of people here. It looks like nobody registered. So we're in a bad situation on twofold. You know, I want people to have a good experience. So they're going to come back next year and I got to be able to pay for this thing. So people did have a good experience. It was kind of nice to have that more intimate type of like situation. But the bad news is, you know, three weeks later, you get a bill for $30,000 and what do you do? I mean, that's the the highs and lows of doing an event. It, it's a gamble. You can make a lot of money and you can lose a lot of money. So I think that's a scary thing and it definitely is doable to have a successful event, but it's good to do things on a, uh, a small level, in my opinion. I mean, if you get into like a hotel where coffee is $50 a gallon <laughs> and salsa is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous because you're not just paying for, for the coffee. You're paying for the people to, to keep filling it up. And it, the $18 hamburger. So there are some things to think about. If you're just doing a local event, you don't expect people to fly in. Well, then you have to worry so much about being near an airport. But you do want to think about your venue and does it fit your brand and does it fit your event and just realize that there are all sorts of things to think about. And that's where, to me, maybe, depending on the scenario, an online event might be a good way to start because then anyone can attend. You've really removed a lot of the barriers. In fact, I was talking with Troy 
And when the Blacklist has their final season, he's probably going to try to do some sort of local meetup or something like that to where all the fans can get together. And that reminds me when uh, Lost uh, went off the air, Cliff Ravenscraft was doing a show about Lost, and he had a bunch of people flying to Cincinnati, you know, the lovely metropolis, the the tourist area of Cincinnati, Ohio to come watch the last show together at an event. So it's something to think about. And before we get out the door, I want to remind you, you have some homework. And that is, as I record this, uh, next Friday, the 28th of December, is the last day you can tell me what is your absolute favorite podcast. So we want to do that. And there's only one. Somebody tried to slide one in a day with three, and it was like, "Uh uh-uh. Homie, don't play that. One, what's your one favorite pie? I know it's hard. I know it's hard. That's why we're doing it. One, what's your favorite podcast? Number two, why is it your favorite? That's really why we're doing this. And number three, where is it? Then, if you have one, tell us about your podcast. Tell us what it's about and tell us where we can find it. And you can email me, Dave, at schoolofpodcasting.com. Just record something and send it on over. Please put December question in the subject line or you can go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. There are multiple ways of doing that. I do prefer some sort of audio. So whether you're doing a phone call, a speak pipe or recording something and emailing it in, that's the best way to go because it's a podcast and I want to have your voice on this show, not mine. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you're looking to start a podcast, I would love to take my 13 years of podcasting, my 20 years of teaching and help you launch a podcast. Go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R. And that will save you again on either a monthly or yearly subscription. On next week's episode, I'm going to talk about some things I'm going to do differently in 2019 and some fun tools that you might want to play with. And if I'm lucky, the Rodecaster from Rode, that's that all-in-one mixer recorder thing, will have shown up and I'll be able to talk about that. I'm hoping it gets here soon, soon enough so that I can do a review of that. So that's coming up. And of course, you can always go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe. And as soon as that episode, any episode is available, you get them first. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, take care. God bless. Class is dismissed. The main dude over there, and he's at uh, Megan, what's her name? You know, all these famous people, the dude with the hat, and then Mike, Megan, what's her name? He's had them all on his show. Let's do that again, shall we? I can get a room for free at the church. But when you do that, you get stereotyped into a certain type of business. It would be like if we thought about the opposite of that, for example, like Dave Ramsey, he's not going to do an event at a strip club, even if the strip club is free. <laughs> Coming up to the stage now, we got Candy coming up. Right after that, we have, uh, yeah, I can see that. Candy's getting out of debt by, she needs a, you know. She needs $300 on rent money, gentlemen. Put your hands together for Candy. (laughs) Exactly. She's working on her baby step number six. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because 
big storm, flooding. Sorry, Dave, did you hear that car? That's right. We'll have, Sorry. We'll have to have a whole conversation of what's going on behind the conversation. Right, right. Sorry. I'm living next to the... <laughs> did you hear my toilet explode? I did hear something. I didn't know what was going on. I, I figured you were taking a leak. <laughs> I'm, literally, I'm, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden I hear this... And I'm like, what is that? You know? And so I'm I'm like, I can't leave the interview. And it's like getting louder and louder. So I, I have two bathrooms. One I use and one I never use. And literally I go in and there's water like like somebody's spitting water out of the toilet and it does not smell good. It's not dirty water, but whatever's going on. Yeah. And I'm like, so I'm like, all right. So I grab my scale, which is now soaking wet and I throw the lid down and I flush the toilet and I'm trying to close the door. Um, <laughs> and about that time, apparently the flushing the toilet made the other toilet then go bonkers. And it's doing this oh, whole, yeah. and I'm like, what's going on? And the whole time I'm like, so I run over to the room and I can see you're still, talking I'm like, oh hey, good yeah because i'm rambling like i'm <laughs> you're gonna have to edit <laughs> no, that's good i'm like all right good he's, he's still going because i'm expecting it to have you know put my headphones on and have you go you still there dave dave, dave, like, dave. he's going good so i went over and put the lid on, closed on that and closed that door but i was like i've never seen, i mean i literally walk in and i'm having water like spit on me and i'm like i've never seen a toilet work backwards i'm like i don't know what's going somebody's flushing a pipe somewhere or whatever's going on but all right, I'm using this for my behind the scenes of interviews. <laughs> I'm using that. All right, so. so. 